Well, hey, Ryan. Good morning. Hey. Good morning. How's everything going over there? Good. Real good. Just, uh, you know, getting through the summer, I guess. <laughs> through the summer, through the transition, uh, through everything, right? <laughs> you know, you blink and, and here August is, you know, come and gone. My birthday's towards the end of August, so it's always kind of a milestone for me in any given year. Um, but my goodness, you start to put to bed the uh, the summer dreams. I know. Put away yeah. the summer toys, get ready for fall, yeah. school, all of it. And so. probably those tuning in from uh, the southern states and Florida, stuff like that, you're happy to see those ultra-high temperatures burning off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's nice. But up here in Michigan, we start to get prepared for, well, you know. Well, I'm not saying that. Well, okay, good. <laughs> we'll say that for another yeah. podcast. There you go. Right. Well, you know, speaking of August, looking back at the markets, yep. you know, if you go back to the July podcast, we kind of said, hey, you know, look for some things. And I think if we look at some of the numbers. Yeah, we we had a challenging August, yeah. quite frankly. Um, you know, if you look at the S&P 500, top 500 companies in the U.S., great gauge to just represent, you know, broad basket of stock exposure, large U.S. companies. Right. Um, you know, it was actually down 1.6%. But in mid-month of August, I mean, we were down quite substantially more than that. And it, it kind of touched off uh, from a downgrading of um, the U.S. debt. Yeah. And what does that really mean? I mean, it was just kind of like a negative watch, um, not necessarily a true material downgrade. So, you know, when you're looking at it from that perspective, um, I don't really look too much beyond just the headline, mm -hmm. but it's enough to, especially when you had such a robust move higher in July, right? it's enough to just settle things down. And so we kind of gave back half of July's gain in the S&P 500. Um, bonds, we always like to look at bonds as well, kind of the two cornerstones mm -hmm. of any given portfolio. Uh, the aggregate bond index, which is just, again, a broad basket of investment grade bonds, um, was down more uh, marginally, it was down 0.64%. Right. So not as severe. But again, a lot of interest rate volatility. Mm -hmm. And I talked about a few podcasts back that interest rate volatility settling down. Right. Well, a headline like a downgrade on the credit rating of the U.S., that's enough to send yields higher, interest rates higher. And why is that? Because any time that there is more perceived risk, you're going to, as a bond investor, require a higher rate of interest to make that exposure part of your portfolio. Mm -hmm. So you got a little bit of that interest rate volatility. We don't like that. We don't <laughs> no, like that. No. So and we've had it. We have. Okay. The other thing you might notice is you're paying a little more at the pump. And one of the life hacks that I've often explained is you can get a pretty good read on where uh, interest rates are based on what you're paying at the pump. Now, you got to kind of set a baseline and an average for mm -hmm. where you're at in the U.S., but if you see we drift to the high end of that range, you can expect interest rates are higher. And why that is, is interest rates are a mechanism to control inflation, as well as kind of manage risk in a portfolio. So when you see oil and energy, I mean, a big component of inflation up, you would expect it's the anticipation interest rates kind of move higher. So again, a little bit of a life hack. We don't like interest rate volatility, bottom line. Right. So when you see the price of the pump going up, recognize that we're going, okay, all right. Well, and we'll circle around to the interest rate stuff. Yeah. But before we get to that, by the time most of you are watching this, you know, the transition from TD to Schwab will have been complete. Yes. Um, that was kind of getting towards the end of August. But, you know, it's gone smooth. It has. It has. It's been a long time coming, quite right. frankly. So we've had time to prepare. But truly what happened, what took place was – uh, Charles Schwab acquired TD Ameritrade. Mm -hmm. So those who used TD Ameritrade as their custodian 
simply the custodian, right. following um, that Investment Advisors Act of 1940, you have to have a custodian if you're an investment advisor. Mm-hmm. We've used TD Ameritrade for a very long time. Charles Schwab bought them. Therefore, anybody who was TD Ameritrade will be working with Charles Schwab as their custodian. That's they do it. not make investment decisions. They do not do tax withholding. They do not do anything from that perspective. They simply play the role of the custodian. Right. They kind of keep that checks and balance. There you it. go. Exactly. So material part of our relationship, well, yeah, because you need a custodian and it's important. Advanced capital gets hit by a bus. You want to know your money's safe. Right. I mean, that's really what it is. Exactly. Keeping your money in arm's length away from the business risk of your investment advisor. So that is important. But when it comes to uh, it's rather benign from a functional uh, standpoint, right. how we manage your money. So again, bear with us. As much as it's going smooth, you know there's going to be a <laughs> yeah. So whether it's just um, things settling as they get into the new systems, like cost basis, yeah. you know, perhaps tax withholding might need to be adjusted or something like that. These are these are going to be rather benign things, and we will get them cleaned up. Um, we know that account linking will not transfer over. So if mm-hmm. you're used to logging in and seeing husband, wife, IRA, and one login, recognize that you're going to have to go through some steps. An on extra the step now, yeah. So again, these are uh, things that are more of a nuisance. Yeah. But other than that, it's gone very smooth. And we're happy to work with the team at Schwab. They've been very responsive so far. And we've got a lot of uh, you know promise into the future. Right. So as we transition back to rates, okay. you know, a question I know a lot of clients have asked is, can stocks withstand the continued rate hikes or the inflation or the move up, right. however you want right. to you know, package that sure. interest rate? And I think we need to set the stage for that discussion as to why interest rates would, in theory, challenge stocks' ability to go higher. Mm-hmm. And what the, it's, it's truly a trade-off. And the trade-off is this. And I always like to go to, if I was trying to go buy the gas station at the corner, mm-hmm. I'd go in and I'd say, I want to buy this place. The owner would say, well, what are you going to offer me? I'd say, well, how much money do you make? If you're wildly profitable, I'll give you a lot of money. Right. If you don't make a lot of money, I'll pay you for the real estate. Mm-hmm. So it's fair to say that the value of the business should be tightly correlated to how uh, profitable it is. That's a PE multiple, price to earnings multiple. We get to look at this in the stock market world, whether it's single stock or index, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You, you tell me what you want me to evaluate for you. When the price to earnings ratio is higher, I immediately assume that a lot of the growth has been baked into the price. It's already done. It's already, it's already reflected in the price. So I can't assume that I'm going to get that mm-hmm. when price to earnings multiples are level, uh, elevated. So what that says is when price to earnings multiples are elevated, there's less juice left in that stock. Well, when interest rates are higher, I might go, gosh, look at how high that price to earnings multiple is. I'm just going to go ahead and hang out in this interest Mm -hmm. place for a while. When interest rates are zero, I'm kind of like, well, my goodness, I will take this. I got to find somewhere to have my money work. There you go. Get better than zero. Mm -hmm. But the Fed funds rate, literally, we started March of 2022 and went off that zero bound. My goodness, we're at five and a half. Right. So... The competition for the stock exposure is just that much greater. That's why you find that higher interest rates somewhat cap or slow down the ability of the stock market to just leap higher. Okay, so let's think about this, though. If earnings are growing Mm -hmm. because an economy is growing, 
I have to look at that PE multiple differently. I have to say that E. So let's go back to the gas station owner. I have to expect if the economy is stronger and earnings are growing stronger because the consumer is strong, jobs market is strong, I can anticipate that earnings number to grow. So I might be more willing to entertain that perhaps higher price relative to current earnings. So here's the key. Yes, the market can withstand higher rates as long as those earnings continue to propel higher. And that will be a product of a strong economy. So there you go. So, you know, there's an environment that they could. Yeah. (laughs) And quite frankly, we have the makings of that environment. Right. Now, there's plenty that can go wrong. And quite frankly, the the rate that is out there competing with that PE multiple, mm-hmm. I mean, if that keeps going up, it's just, well, the earnings number has more work to do. do. So then we go back to our old <laughs> friend at the Fed, Jay Powell. So again, we have the makings of that. And you're seeing it play out right now in the market. So if we look at August, and you mentioned kind of off the top, you know, some of the bond returns, yeah. you know, and we'll say big picture yeah. returns. What about bonds? Can they handle continued rate movements higher if that's how they continue to move? Yeah. Bonds are unique in that you buy them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you buy them, you make a transaction, you buy them. There are two ways out. Stocks, there's one way out. You sell it. Right. Bonds, there are two ways out. You can sell a bond or it can mature. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it from the the vantage point that we would want our viewers to to hear, it's like, well, the reflection in my portfolio, is it going to be positive or negative? That's the vantage point that I'm going to take this. Mm-hmm. We use diversified mechanisms to get bond exposure. Those are either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. They are baskets of bonds. When interest rates go up, we have to mark to market those bonds. And think about it from this perspective. If I lend a company money for 10 years at 3%, a year later, interest rates are higher, new loans are at 4%, well, my 3% bond that I now have nine years left on is less attractive in the marketplace. If someone's going to buy it from you. There you go. Because new bonds are at 4%. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to see the price of that bond right down. But I don't have to sell it. I can be very comfortable with taking the 3% and just allowing that bond to mature and I will get all my money back and all the interest and I will not have to experience a capital loss. Mm -hmm. And then when it matures, I'm going and seeking out a higher interest rate bond. So what you'll find in these baskets of bonds as they mature, you will pick up anything that was kind of lost or depressed in that mark to market space. And then we're able to see them be reinvested at higher rates. So you'll get that yield creeping up. It's just a product of time mm-hmm. at that point. So <clears throat> bond prices, when you look at interest rates being held up here, it, they can handle it. Yeah. The continued movement higher makes those mark-to-market write-downs more dramatic, perhaps. But the beauty of it is there's two ways out of bonds. Right. And all you have to do, and believe me, the fund managers, the ones who are managing the basket within these mechanisms, they know this better than anyone else. Exactly right. And so that's why we've trusted some. That's right. And you know, we screen them for right, their exactly ability right. to manage through. So yeah, quite frankly, the bond world, y- you want higher interest rates. Right. Now, here's <clears throat> when you look at what happened last year. We had the worst year on record for I believe it's 50 years. I you know, don't quote me on that, but the worst year for bonds on record in the last 50 years. Because interest rates, the rate of change just boom up a wall. Mm-hmm. 
So it would seem like you have some mean reversion in that interest rate space, and they probably can drift lower at some point. That would actually be a positive pickup for that mark to market. So again, we're managing, um, it seems like the interest rate volatility is slowing down a bit, and that is really good. The month of August was a little bit of an exception because we got some headlines, but that's that's the gist of it. Yeah. So let's change gears a little bit, right? We kind of got you know into some details with some of those things, but yeah. let's look at maybe big picture, whether we're looking at performance or allocation or why we diversify. Yeah. You know, I think some of us have seen those scatter plots, whether yeah. it's, you know, Morningstar on the internet or wherever it is, right. that shows all the different investments and what's made what compared to the other. Yeah. And I think specifically, Ryan, you've kind of been looking at the Dow and the S&P. Dow and the S&P, just there, or how about even just the Dow and the NASDAQ? Those would right. be two bookends, but I think the S&P is good and we can kind of build that out a little bit. And it's just this concept that, when you look at the Dow year to date, it's up six plus percent. And again, we don't have to get to the mm -hmm. exact amount because this goes through compliance. Um, so six <laughs> plus percent, right? Don't spit out your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, and then you look at something like the S&P and, you know, depending on when you're viewing this, again, something north of 15 percent, 15, 18, you know, you, you see these disparities there. Guess what? They're both stock indexes. Aren't it's they like large cap, right? It's <laughs> like, and they're both large, well-established U.S. companies. It's just like, well, wait a minute. If you told me I'm 100 percent stock, and I'd have to say, well, what types of stocks do you? <laughs> exactly. Because this year is so so scattered, right? Amongst the ilk of stock, and guess what? A lot of that has to do with interest rates. I yeah. mean, it's it's wild. But when you think about last year, 2022. The, the Dow didn't go down anywhere near as much as the S&P or the mm -hmm. NASDAQ. So when you look at it up only you know 6% or something like right. that year to date, um, as of the end of August, you would find that uh, you know it didn't have a lot of ground to recover. It didn't have to make this uh, just amazing reversal where the NASDAQ and the S&P, they gave up more ground, so they had that much more to cover. So again, it can be frustrating at times because we are susceptible to what's called recency bias. Mm -hmm. And what we say is, well, I'm only looking at the last few months, and then I'm evaluating you, the advisor. That's all that matters, right? <laughs> and, and I get that. And I mean, I'm not trying to give us a, an no. out. But what I will say is it's important to be disciplined because you a diversified portfolio is going to have some things that are doing really well, some things that aren't doing great. You know, everyone sees the headlines of the stock market doing tremendous. But quite frankly, year to date, the bond market's really not been doing tremendous. And from that perspective, you a diversified portfolio is going to have some of that asset class in there. It's going to have some of this asset class in there. We can't just be all the thing that's winning all the time because that's not prudent. Um, well, and when we look at some of the topics or the keywords that we're always talking about, we're always talking about you know diversification. And mm -hmm. We're always talking about trying not to time the market. Right. But we also talk a lot about trying to control what we can control. And I know that's what we do when we're designing portfolios, we're making decisions for clients. Yeah. But let's elaborate a little more on that, right? Right. So it's so important to understand what you can control and understand what you can't control. Mm -hmm. And I would say what you can't control is your return mm -hmm. or the return of an investment that you, you know, own. You you can't control that. So then you have to focus on the things that you can control. And it's kind of like, you know, what level of risk are you willing to take? And then what's the cost? associated with the portfolio? Right. What's the behavior that 
is driving, you know, your relationship with your portfolio. And then how much, you know, control the time aspect as well. Be realistic with yourself as to when do you need this money? Mm -hmm. And how much do you need of it? Correct. If you don't need it all tomorrow, then why are you so worried about tomorrow? Right. But if you can control those four things, the performance, which you can't control, will be a reflection of a well-thought-out investment strategy. Mm -hmm. But again, we go back to time. We go back to cost. We go back to behavior, and we go back to risk. They, those will drive the thing that you can't control. Mm-hmm. But the thing that you can't control, the biggest key to that is giving it the, the um, ability for these four things that you can't control to play out. So remember that. Remember that as portfolios move around, diversification is important. It's all going to be, you know, it's, it's, it'll work out. Mm-hmm. There's a system. you got professionals managing so now we just said control what you can control, but then I hear that the Fed's trying to pull levers and we're looking at, you know, how, why doesn't it reflect right away? Why doesn't it change? If we do X, well, yeah. why don't we have interest rates going down? Right. Why am I still paying more at the pump or right. whatever that example right. might be? So that's it's something that if you listen to Jay Powell, which we've been doing, chairman of the Federal Reserve, you, mm-hmm. you hear him say oftentimes long – Monetary policy works with long and variable lags. When they pull a lever at the Fed, they don't expect it to play out tomorrow. When they raise interest rates, just look at the mortgage environment. Right. Those who are going to get a mortgage today versus 18 months ago, mm-hmm. very, very different environment. Well, it took time for those mortgage rates to build up. That will impact real estate a little bit differently than it would if rates were lower. But again, that first interest rate increase didn't really do a whole mm-hmm. lot. But as those, you know, now we're at five and a half Fed funds rate, that will start to grind in areas that uh, the Fed wanted it to grind. Right. But it doesn't happen overnight. It didn't happen like that. Right, long and variable lags. And that's why you can't fall asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. You have to remember, you know, the first interest rate increase, again, March of 2022. So. That, I mean, when does that play out? Well, that's probably into the system already, right. so to speak. But you, you saw it, regional banks, we had a problem. Yep. We had a problem months back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it required an act of the Fed. So, again, that was the Fed going, oh, there's the, there's the lagged effect. Yes. We better figure this thing out. So we have to just be careful and realize that we just saw – you know, when we're talking about can um, stocks withstand these rates, can bonds withstand these rates, there's a lot of our viewers and clients who are going, back in the 80s, are you kidding me? I had a double-digit mortgage. I get it. You don't know, James. Right. <laughs> Relatively speaking, these are still low rates, but it's the rate of change. Yes. It's the rate of change. Mm-hmm. It's not where the rate is. It's the rate of change. You know, that's the big issue that we've got. So it requires a to, it requires an open mind. Mm-hmm. It requires a very strict discipline, watching and controlling risks and making sure client portfolios have the right exposures in there in an ever-changing landscape. Yep. But you do not forget what the Fed has done on the back end. So now let's look ahead. You know, yeah. not very far, just yeah. in the next month. Yeah. You know, next the month. transition should be complete yep. to Schwab. Yep. Yep. You know, we should kind of be able to get some of those things smoothed out. What else are we looking at? 
Well, I don't know. I, I don't want to end on a, a sour note, but I will say, you know, from a historical perspective, September is not tremendous. Yeah. So maybe we can flip that on its head. You know, earnings are coming in. Let's put it this way. We, we got through earnings season and we didn't see as much retreat mm-hmm. on earnings, you know, so that was a good thing. The uh, labor market remains firm. Um, you know, you, we, we see inflation kind of, it rolled over, but it's spiking a little bit. But if that turns out to be, uh, you know, kind of uh, dissipates, that'll be a good thing. But I don't know. September might be a little bumpy. So tune in. We'll yeah. tell you about it. You got it. Until then, we'll continue to stay on top of things. And thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Yeah.